Hello and welcome to WNHHFM's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines and the stories that make New Haven tick. Mayor Tony Hart makes New Haven tick morning and night, even on the weekends, as I got to see yesterday. She's here in the WNHA studio for her weekly Mayor Monday checkup. And what she and we are up to in the Elm City. Good morning, Mayor Hart. Good morning. And if you have a question for the mayor, feel free to pop it up to us via Facebook Live. What you do is you go to the New Haven Independent Facebook page. You'll see the video there that we're talking now. You put the quote right there, and Harry Joe's our uh, station manager, get it right up. Thanks to Gateway Community College and Bertrand Moses PC for providing financial support for today's program. Mayor Harp, usually when we say someone's gone fishing, we mean they're playing hooky. Well, there were you this morning, Monday morning. There were you and the governor and the, I believe, well, at least one of our U.S. senators. Right. You were in uh, the state senate president. You were all gone fishing there on the fishing pier on uh, Fort Hale Park. What, what were you up to? Are you not working or what? Well, you know, we were getting ready to uh, cut the ribbon to tell everybody that we're open for fishing at okay. Fort Hale Park. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you actually were working. Well, working, sure. Because and- government is... For years, wanting to fix the broken pier there, yeah, and and people was it Hurricane Sandy that destroyed Irene? Oh, you see, I can't get them all straight. We had <laughs> one of those super storms. Was Irene twenty eleven? Uh, yes. Okay, so it destroyed the pier, and it's been a long seven years, I guess. It's Have been people a while. not been fishing, or they just go? What do they do? I think that some people were actually they weren't supposed to, but I think they were actually going out on the broken pier. Oh, oh my gosh! Right. So, so yeah. in other words, they weren't supposed to because we'd be responsible if right, they, uh, right. get hurt. anyone get hurt or we don't no not to my knowledge but, but now it's legit now it's legit you got it fixed and it's beautiful it's really beautiful and um so you know why why did so many heavy hitters come out for this why is it such well, a big deal because it was a nice day now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is nice to be out in the sunshine uh you know i think it's something that people have been waiting for as you pointed out for seven years and it is uh something that um, Senator Looney worked on. He got the land conveyed to the city. He also was able to work with the governor and get the $1.8 million to um, rebuild the pier. But the community was also involved. I went to a couple of meetings over at Nathan House School, and the community uh, had input into the design. And it's a really interesting design. It goes out um, about 360 feet. And then at the end, there's a T, not for Tony, but a T. <laughs> there is a T, and at one end of the T, there's an, um, I think it's octagonal space where uh, you can have uh, classes and uh, other kinds of events out in the water, you know, 360 feet into the water. So it's really kind of a, a really interesting pier. And from what Commissioner Clee said, and he would know this, it's the most active pier in the state. Oh, wow. So Commissioner Cleese from the Department of Environmental and Energy and Environmental Protection. Deep. Right. They've gone deep. deeper than depth. In the old days. <laughs> they didn't have energy in the name. So, you know, I also think, Mayor Harp, I think of this as a part of life in New Haven mm-hmm. that the rest of the city doesn't always think about it. Fishing's a pretty nice part and a long time feature of living on the East Shore. I know on the Grand Avenue Bridge, you get people who, uh, who fish? actually fish to eat. Some mm-hmm. of them. And, mm-hmm. uh, but I think when I hear people talking about growing up on the East Shore, I sometimes hear about them going with their parent and fishing and spending the time out there. And it's a little bit in a city, you know, we have the great harbor there, in a city that's a kind of city living that has another element to it, a connection to nature, a kind of um, removal from the bustle. Right. And, you know, I, we were, the Parks Department was out there today and there were fishing poles, and actually, Senator Looney got to throw in the line, as did the governor. Uh, and they had these big, big, big worms. I've never seen worms that big. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, honestly, I was thinking about trying it myself until I saw those worms. I said, nah, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like the way everything's gotten supersized. Their worms getting supersized now for the it fishing. It looks that way, but he's, uh, the, the, the park's... Uh, uh, representative basically said that th- that people are catching um bass out there um it's okay <laughs> when i was young and ate fish I, I thought it was actually very delicious fresh bass came out <laughs> the, there the, i think a striped bass and um he also said that <laughs> they would be getting blue crabs 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and as you point out, a lot of people go out there and fish, and they they um, they it's it's part of um, the way they get protein in their lives. So it's really important uh, aspect of our city. The other thing about this pier is that it is uh, handicap accessible. Okay. Oh, so, that's nice. Yeah. So there's a lower part of the pier. You can go with your uh, wheelchair and actually not have to be a contortion artist to get your pole in there. It's at your wheelchair height. So that, I think, is really kind of... So when you're going onto the pier, where does the wheelchair go to get out of the main way of walking? Well, I think it's a, it's a wide pier, so you can just go straight down mm-hmm. uh, the pier, but there's a lower level where the, the um, rail is lower so that oh, you can okay. actually put your pole That's nice. in there. Yeah. It really makes a difference in like what it's like to live here. Yes. It's a nice thing. It's a very nice. The, the governor, I guess it was a macho thing. The guys threw their lines in to see who got the bigger fish, but it was the, <laughs> anyone pick anything, anyone catch anything. Not while I was there. Okay. <laughs> but you know, the really nice thing about fishing is waiting for that bite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, we, before we were in the air, you said that as a kid you fished. I did. In My Utah? father is a yes. At the uh, we fished at Utah Lake. I know nobody's ever heard of it, but yes. Um, and then there were streams. My my, my father was uh, really into it. Um, seldom ever caught anything, but mm-hmm. I, I had to go. That was one of my. But it's sort of what I was saying earlier, <laughs> was it a nice? Is this putting words in your mouth, or was it a nice memory to go out with your dad when you were young? When he was doing uh, that, my having dad the time, and my brother, time? and it was nice, quiet. Um, and I, I I did enjoy it. I although you know, like we seldom caught anything. Right, but water's peaceful. It's very peaceful, I, and I think that's what I enjoy the most. And, and he really liked it, trying to find different places that, where there might be fish. Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> yep. Man versus nature, man yeah. versus criminal, <laughs> animals, yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, you are listening to Some Human Beings Not Fish, although one of his fish named on Dateline New Haven, Mayor Monday, WNHH, 103.5 FM. We're on Mayor Monday running down the stories of the week. Speaking of guy things, yesterday um, you were at Career High School where there was a debate for the gubernatorial candidates. Yes. The six Democrats who are considered the leading uh, contenders to be the uh, Democrat candidate for governor, and some are concerned a sacrificial lamb in a year when Republicans seem to have some momentum, although they do have a good history of picking candidates who can't win in general elections. Mm-hmm. And they had a debate. It went on for two and a half hours. And I it felt, went on, yeah, I felt it was very substantive. I, thought I actually so think the issues, they really got into the issues. I thought it was well organized at a good kind of variety where there were some yes, no questions. They asked each other questions. The town committee thought about what was important to New Haven. Mm-hmm. And there was my favorite moment was when um, Guy Smith got to ask questions. He said, he's one of the candidates. He said, now you, I know you journalists want us to beat up each other, but I'm just going to ask John Harris, where'd you get those socks? <laughs> so it's a big thing, fun socks, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know mine today. And, you know, guys are really into that these days. I guess my wife says women are too, but I guess the guys kind of show them and display them. So then Joe Gadam got up. He's another candidate and stood next to John Harris and showed his socks. And <laughs> Susan Bicewitz, the only woman on stage, was right in the middle and said, I don't get this. Is this some kind of guy thing? Is it a guy thing? <laughs> you know, I think that men, um, women have more ways to sort of like use clothing as a creative expression. Uh-huh. And men don't. <laughs> and so they've discovered that socks might be their outlet. <laughs> yeah, my wife is saying is agreed with that, that women can have other kinds of clothes. They can yeah. notice, but on the other hand, her argument was that when you're running for office, there's so many more expectations on women than men. Really? And that she feels that Susan Bice was probably couldn't get away with uh, even wearing kind of footwear. You got to kind of show stockings that aren't seen. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, I think that, it, yeah, I think she might have a, a good point. I think that the expectation is that women uh, have to be serious because, you know, a lot of times, um, unfortunately, women have inaccurately been uh, painted as frivolous. Right. Um, and and some of that expression that I talked about before, uh, men attribute to women being frivolous when in fact it's really just a, a form of creativity. And and we still haven't grown to the point that we allow women to be, who are leaders, to be um, as creative as the, we've allowed men to be. And also sort of like you got to be mom, but you also got to show that you're tough. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> but then on the other other hand, I always felt that Nancy Wyman was successful, the our lieutenant governor, with not being like that. Like she's very fun in any situation she's in. She's playful with people, but she's also dead serious. You know, ran the healthcare operation in our state, which was the envy of the country. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe I don't know. Hillary Clinton was quoted this weekend. Amy Chozik uh, had an excerpt from a new book about covering Hillary Clinton, and uh, she felt that that was 
part of what was in Hillary Clinton's way that you just haven't, especially since we're not used to having a female president yet, even though so many other countries have for a long time, that there is this expectation that you can't be too mean, like, you know, too harsh against the person you're running against, but you can't be too frivolous and, again, mom, but also strong leader. But I mean, men got to, you know, I I hope that's changing. Men have certain ways in which they have to behave as well. Yeah. Yeah. So this year will be a test because we have record numbers of women running for Congress. You and I have talked about a lot in the show mm-hmm. about there's a woman year we're going to see, even though we're not seeing a lot of it in the state races, this is the year nationally we're going to see women make a whole leap in terms of being on ballots. And so we'll, we'll see how oh, it plays out. I think it'll be great. And you know, look, uh, we have a Congresswoman who can wear purple hair. So, you know, yeah. she has uh, Speaking of our Congresswoman, given us freedom. Rosa DeLauro, 14 <laughs> terms, 28 years as our yeah. Congresswoman. And it looked, and there isn't even a Republican sacrificial lamb on the ballot yet. You know, they always throw someone mm-hmm. you never heard of, and they don't give them any money because Rose has got a safe seat. Mm-hmm. But she had a potential primary challenge. Brian Anderson, former Housing Authority director in New Haven, now Liz in Milford, was going to run from the left as a Bernie Sanders candidate, and he dropped it last week. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of going to have a victory rally today with Unite Here. What, what do you think? Why do you think it is after 14 terms, she doesn't have to worry about challenges? Well, I think that she's very accessible to people that um, people um, have had a good experience when they've needed to go to her office, and she's really great on constituent work, and she's just a very open and receptive human being, and I think that that has uh, been the story of her success. She has a great connection with people. I mean, you know, even though she plays a leading role in Congress Mm because of her seniority and her very deep interest in certain issues... She's really, as you said, her constituent service from day one. She knew yeah. that was not going to drop. Right. And we're going to put Bob on the line. Bob, it's nice to hear from you, buddy, on this sunny day. Hey, Paul. Hey, Mayor. How are you today? Hey, Bob. How are you? you got to get out to Fort Hill Pier. It's beautiful. Yes, definitely do. But uh, i got a question for you, a couple for you today. Uh, I wonder <laughs> if you bumped arms with the governor today and asked him for some money for the city. Oh, see, Bob does think a good question. <laughs> I think here I'm talking about fishing. And Bob's right. The big issue is, are we going to get more money from the state or not? Well, you know, my understanding is that the state does have more money in its coffers and that the uh, legislature, so I should have really been uh, chatting up Marty Looney, is thinking of uh, ways in which to divvy up that money. And I'm really hoping that New Haven will get its fair share this time as it has in the past. Well, we're talking about, aren't we, about higher than expected quarterly income tax receipts. Is that correct? Right. Mm -hmm. So we've had so many quarters where... It's been lower than we expected, and we are so dry on Randy Day Fund and contributions to pensions. Do you really think legislators are going to feel like they could use a little bit of one-time money to address? I don't think it should be one-time money. Um, I think I honestly think that we should at least pay the things that are in our statutes already. So we should pay our statutorily mandated um obligations which we really haven't done for years like payments in lieu of taxes our pilots have exactly bob did you have another question for mayor tony harp yeah i, I do this is i won't say it's complicated but it's the question and it regards the city of west haven and new haven and west haven has now decided to boot so my question to you mayor is it's decided to do what west haven resident drives to new haven will their car possibly get booted you know the boot when the you boot. owe when mm-hmm. you owe uh, taxes. Don't we still boot? We boot. Yeah, yeah we boot. People just um, know that we boot and they pay their taxes. <laughs> so maybe West Haven's <laughs> going to have a few years of people getting used to it too. Yeah. And hey, Bob, thanks so much for calling in, man. So my, hold on, Paul. Okay. My question wasn't answered. Will a West Haven resident get booted in New Haven? You mean for tickets they owe in West Haven, or tickets right, they owe in New correct. Haven? Oh, I see. So we we boot people if they owe tickets in New Haven. Right. right, but are we going to boot in New Haven? Are we going to boot West Haven residents? If they owe tickets in New Haven, is okay. that what you're saying? But no, not, no, he's asking whether there'll be a reciprocation. In West Haven or back taxes or taxes. Oh no, I mean, I we they haven't contacted us. Um, no, we would not be doing that. You know, I wonder if in the future that would be a cooperation uh, possibility. Well, I, I know that we get some cooperation from the state uh, around. Um, not allowing uh, licenses to be purchased mm-hmm. uh, if they owe city city taxes or tickets. 
Um, you know, I, you know, honestly, I think a lot of people who don't pay their, 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 their tickets or their taxes have uh, difficulties. I, I would have to think long and hard before I would support that. All right, Bob. Thanks for that question, buddy. As I usual. have one last question. Oh, you got I another one. one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What oh, is we it? lost them. Oh, no. uh, maybe the mayor can give us an update about the assistant fire chief who was suspended and the situation with Nicole Jefferson. Oh, oh. good questions. Okay, Bob. Thanks, man. All right. Talk to you. So why don't you listen to the answer on radio? These are all personnel matters that, that I don't discuss on. Even on the radio. Nicole Jefferson. I mean, that's kind of public about the city that's lost an appeal. Uh, it did, but you know, it's um, we haven't really made a decision yet. I haven't spoken to um, John Rose about what our next action will be, if any, and so I don't have any updates other than what you've read in the newspaper and okay online. Well, thanks a lot, and David B. Hunter and Nadine Nelson notify they like this show and they're listening. Thanks for listening, folks, and you're listening to Mayor Monday on WNHHFM Live Steve New Haven Independent.org where we run down the week's news. And before we get some more stuff in the week, I just want to catch up with the weekend here. There was a corner naming ceremony that I thought was kind of sweet yesterday at, uh, what was it, Bristol and Ashman? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's where New Haven Reads is. That's a place where it started out as you brought, I remember going there, you know, it was 10 years ago or more. You bring all the books that you're not going to mm-hmm. keep anymore. And they're this huge repository of books that they give out free to people. And the woman who started, Christine Alexander, she's dead now. She's a wonderful woman. She was married to Bruce Alexander, Vice President Yale. And she saw that the kids she was giving books to didn't know how to read them. So she started enlisting people to tutor the kids, and it got huge. I mean, we know so many people, I'm sure you do too, Mayor Harp, who donate their time every week. Tom Breen, who works here, you know, he gets off little every Monday to go tutor. Lucy Gelman work here. Uh, friends of mine from my synagogue, they, they, they spend every week just reading to people. And it's having a huge scale now. They have four locations, two right there in Dixville, one in East Rock, one in Science Park. And it's got to be quite a big thing. So they named the corner after. Were you there? I was. Tell me about it. It was a really a, a beautiful experience. One, it was a beautiful day. Um, and um, Bruce Alexander and his his son and his daughter-in-law and their three grand, uh, Bruce's three grandchildren were there. And I think the most um, stirring moment was when the grandchildren read a poem uh, that like the described, first letter of every letter of her name was the first letter of a word about right. what she's like. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was really nice, and um, and it was just it was just really nice to 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 really think about what it takes for someone to come up with an idea that has borne such fruit in our community and and met us and is meeting such a great need. Now you could do that in New Haven. A lot of people have ideas, and sometimes they don't work. You know, sometimes they mm-hmm. do. Everyone's got a world to sort of idea to solve some big problem in the world. I love this one because how quiet it is, but how deep it was. Yeah, and the value of to books, be. and then it became teaching people to read, and how important that is to get them started in life. Mm-hmm. And I noticed the connections people make with the kids they mentor, and mm-hmm. how important that is for the parents who bring the kids there. And I just love seeing all the books. Mm-hmm. I've just started to realize how computers and e-readers you know i don't know about you i don't use e-readers i like book books i like to touch the book yeah me too but uh <laughs> but i did notice like you know i always grew up and through my 40s and 50s felt like it, there was something sacrilegious about throwing out a book so one thing mm-hmm. i really liked about new haven reads is you dumped the book there but the truth is some of the books you dump are like old course books that aren't really that relevant anymore or well you don't dump off the beat up version of the books but you know some kind of books that people are not saying are going to read and and uh we've started giving a lot more to goodwill and we don't store as many in our house i think what we're but new haven reads has more than they can kind of store and oftentimes they're not the books that um that the, the people are going to want to read or or that they would want to um give out so uh they really like books i think for children and um you know and then some you know i would say um Fiction books of quality. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really fun finding those at old garage sales and stuff. Yeah. yeah I've, in my life, found some wonderful novels I would never have thought of. And now in New Haven, if you notice in the neighborhoods, I'm sure you have, there are those free lending libraries that look like little birdhouses. Oh, yes, yes. And yes, people yes. got one in my neighborhood. I've seen a bunch of neighbors got one in New Hallville where um, people just put some books out there for neighbors to take and put back. Mm-hmm. A, a very tiny scale, the other extreme of New Haven mm-hmm. reads. Mm-hmm. So you had a nice time at that. Uh, did you know Christine Alexander? I had met her a couple of times, but I, I didn't know. I thought really she was know. neat. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. liked, I liked that kind of quiet. I mean, you could relate to this kind of person, very quiet about 
pretty ambitious ideas mm -hmm. and really got them done. Yeah. There was no pushover, let's just say it that way. Cherry Blossom Festival in Worcester Square. So I didn't every get a year we had to this, go. They had like 7,000 people there. Mm -hmm. had a good time. What I love about it is that every year they kind of plan around nature. So if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to remember because I always assign it every year. I was trying to make sure we get the, uh, the, uh, the um, Worcester Square Festival cover. It's so important in that neighborhood when Louisa mm -hmm. DeLauro, the alder was there. That was her big thing. Um, they always try to make sure they have the weekend that you have cherry blossoms come out because only a few weeks. And mm -hmm. it's this amazing feeling on Worcester Square. You look down Green Street and it looks like it's snowy or something. Mm -hmm. This bow with the trees meeting each other. And, and so the blossoms were not out yet. They've done it earlier every year because they started blossoming them earlier. But they still have a great time as a community. No, and you know, I mean, it just goes to show you that we've had a really long winter. I know we have. I'm kind of <laughs> tired of it. It wasn't like the worst winter, but it's kept going. I know. It just it was like it was like sort of like the milk toast winter that wouldn't stop. That wouldn't stop. <laughs> and everybody just got so happy last couple days with the sun out. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, you and I were kind of in a dark dungeon in the middle of all that sun in the Blossom Festival. We were at this debate a career, and I didn't want to get back to it for a second with the gubernatorial candidates. What struck you about the debate? Did anybody, I mean, I, I'm guessing you want to be careful not say I'm for this candidate and I guess that candidate because you haven't made an endorsement, right? But did anything strike you? Like as a reporter, I'm comfortable saying someone did well on this side and not well on this side or struck this or not when I honestly know I'm not endorsing someone. Did anything strike you about how people came off or any interactions? Um, you know, I thought that it was interesting. They were all very well prepared and uh, they all um, answered, I think, from their point of view, the questions very well, which I, I thought was sometimes uh, those questions will stump you, but nobody, nobody seemed to be stumped. Mm -hmm. Cormac, I think they were stumped on only one question. I'll get back to that in a second, see if you agree with me. Cormac Levinson wrote in, yeah, you're welcome to send questions, folks, but thanks for listening in and saying you're liking the show. The one question where I felt they were stumped, it was a yes, no question, so we didn't get to really hear what they had to say about it. Someone town committee asked them, should, a, should the state allow civilian review boards oh, to have subpoena power? And they seemed flustered, and they weren't sure what to say. You know, um, Guy Smith was the only one who had a really strong point of view. He said, absolutely not, mm -hmm. which was kind of funny because his local person here supporting him was Reverend Boise Kimber, who was called for more like police accountability. But, you know, <laughs> that's just the funny parts of campaigns. But they kind of gave answers that they weren't sure what to say, and they didn't necessarily agree on it. Well, I think that there, you know, there's a, um, even in our town, there's a, a big split around whether or not they should have uh, the ability to subpoena. And so I think it reflected the fact that... There's no consensus. There's no consensus. What do you think? Uh, you know, I think I've said it before that, um, that there is a, a board that does have the ability to subpoena, and that's the Board of Police Commissioners, and that... Um, we should utilize what we what currently exists. So the people who are on the argument for having it say that Taisha Walker, the board president or a committee chairperson can be on the civilian review board and lend their existing subpoena power to that board. Uh, that's a possibility. I, I don't know. I think that there's some members of the board of alders uh, and I'll let them talk for themselves, but they've said to me that they, they think that power should be reserved to those that already have it, including mm -hmm including the Board of Alders. Okay. Uh, that that it, kind of undermines them in many respects. Uh-huh. Well, I see what you're saying there. And then uh, yesterday, so you had these six candidates. No one's really broken out from the pack. Did you see anyone emerging yesterday? Uh, you Striking know, any chords? I thought they all did a really good job, um, to be honest with you. Um, I think the ones to watch, oh, this is probably not fair to say, because I haven't made up my Go mind Go ahead, you were yet. on the fishing pier. You could step over. Come on. <laughs> And I believe you, you haven't made up your mind, but who are the ones to watch? Uh, you know, I think you've got to watch Ned Lamont, you've got to watch Susan Weiselwitz and, and Jonathan Harris. And, you know, and I really sort of, in the, and uh, uh, Mr. Conley maybe in the back. I think those are, are the ones that you probably need to really watch. And it was borne out, Mayor Hart, by what actually happened at the debate. Yeah. So when they were asking each other questions at the end, Susan Weiselwitz, who really entered as, if not the favorite, a definite frontrunner, she'd been elected to state with office three times as Secretary of State, She's a relentless fundraiser. She, um, you know, she campaigns very hard, but she hasn't caught a lot of traction since she got in. Mm -hmm. And Ned Lamont seems, especially among the progressive base, and this has been a surprise to everybody, among the, including him, he talked about this as a debate. He said, I'm not your 
at the debate, he said, now it might look funny to you see me, the guy who's going to be the champion of labor and everything. I'm a rich guy, businessman from Greenwich. You know, he's funding his own campaign. And, um, but he, he killed everybody at the straw poll at the AFL-CIO. Four times as many votes as anybody else who came close in this crowded field. And uh, so I think she went after him because she sees him as the front runner. Yeah. And then she took him on those one, really he has this one vulnerable issue among progressives. Mm-hmm. which is that he funds his own campaigns. Mm-hmm. So he ran for Senate in 2006. Everyone was happy about that because he took on Joe Lieberman, so the progressives were happy. They didn't mind he funded his own campaign. Mm-hmm. But when he ran for governor in 2010, he funded his own campaign again. And the people who actually got him to run in 2006 abandoned him and said, you know, that's not a progressive candidate. Mm-hmm. So now Susan said, you're funding your own campaign. Why do you need to spend all that money against Democrats in a primary? I get your point that Republicans in a general election. And he kind of answered, I'm raising more individual donations from everyone else. We need to have someone who can go toe-to-toe Republicans in the general. Does either of them have a good point about public financing? Yeah, I, you know what? Um, I, I think that, um, I think that this, I, I think that the Citizen Election Fund um, is helpful, um, but it shouldn't be the all- end all to Uh someone's ability to run and um it would seem to me that we just need to look at the candidate what they stand for and their ability to win ultimately and i and i and i understand her point but you know like everybody has their positives you know Mm -hmm. like um she may have uh the ability to pull together enough resources because it does take resources to um, to qualify for the citizens election fund. Um, and you know, and he has the resources already, but is willing to show that he has a broad base of citizen support. So I think that both of those things matter and they're almost both equal. And, you know, um, I think that the citizens election fund really is supposed to even the playing field, not necessarily define the playing field. Oh, that's interesting. Even the playing field. Did you just come up with that? I got some help. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's got that ring of a, of, a, of a craft. It's like when, remember Clinton said, welfare reform, mend it, don't end it. And you know it took them like days to come up with that slogan. But that, it was brilliant. I mean, it said a lot, you know. Yeah. So like that. Even the playing field, not to find the playing field. Right. He got a good shot back at her saying, I noticed when you ran for attorney general, you didn't run with the citizen election program. <laughs> I know they got those two in, those two. But, but that wasn't but, what the debate was like mostly. But, you know, I think that it was interesting that it was really when people had an opportunity to go after people, they didn't they do didn't it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They talked about socks. And we also <laughs> saw, we also saw a consensus. And tell me if you agree with that. I saw a consensus of what it means to be a Democrat at least running in New Haven, at least in a primary, the amount they agreed on was striking. Yeah. They were all for sanctuary policies and pro-immigration reform, which you would not have found years ago. Joe Gannon wasn't there years ago. Mm-hmm. They were all very strongly against Anthony Trump, of course. Joe Gannon was not there two years ago, and he had been doing business with Donald Trump, and when he was first elected, he praised him. Um, they were all for highway tolls. They, where they differ, and it's, an, and it's a valuable difference, is how best to do it. No, I think that's true. And, you know, I've got to say... Legalization of marijuana. I, I think that... Uh, I think people have come a long way and that, and that Democrats understand those values that really value everybody, um, the, the entire continuum of population, are those things that would actually distinguish Democrats from Republicans. And you're going to hear a lot about that in this election year, correct? So today we got the news that Lonnie Reed state rep from Brantford, who was one of those Democrats who voted with the Republicans on the state budget, as well as on affordable housing issue, both of which were bad news for New Haven and cities. Mm-hmm. She's not running again. Oh. And Gail Slosberg, similar person, Milford, she's not running again. Lonnie Reed was going to face a progressive working families party challenge in a primary from someone who had been a vet from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's what you're seeing? You just mentioned this a minute ago. Is this more evidence of what you're seeing that Democrats are going to have a clarified message that's different from Republicans. And I also think that the president has helped to really show uh, what happens when this sort of negative, um, what I would consider to be self-first politics um, is really in charge and how, how from a, a state point of view, when 
You have a balance in the Senate uh, between both parties. You can't get anything done. And for years, we haven't been able to get anything done in the federal government. And uh, so I, I think that people are beginning to see that, that uh, not having the kind of balance and not having what I would consider to be humanitarian-type thinking, which is more democratic in my mind, uh, in the minds of people who represent us, really is creating a huge problem for our state and our country. It was kind of interesting because you weren't on stage yesterday and you were had been talked about as a governor candidate, you're not running. But as I told you, I mm-hmm. felt like you did get the most votes yesterday. People mm-hmm. were talking right to you, praising you from the stage a lot. I guess they really want your endorsement. <laughs> yeah. you know? I think they there meant it. But I think yeah. they, I mean, New Haven is seen as the successful city among Democrats, and I think it's well-earned. And you get credit for that. I also think they want you to... Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And, you know, I, and I, I, I think that it's really important that whoever represents us has an opinion, a, a strong opinion about urban areas, about our cities, because um, it's, it's a huge fight in a, in a suburban-controlled legislature to get what is necessary to move cities forward. And I really believe that one of the reasons that we haven't moved forward as a state is that our cities have not been um, funded to the degree that they need to be. And that we haven't been able to move our economic agenda in cities forward because that's where the synergies begin for the entire state. And we're talking about the urban agenda on Dateline New Haven's Mayor Monday program with Mayor Tony Harp. And, uh, and thanks everyone who's been writing in about listening and I'm glad you're listening to the show. Um, pay equity. You talked earlier about women and as much as men. Robin Porter, New Haven State Rep, has been pushing a pay equity bill in Hartford. And it's about uh, employers not allowing to ask prospective employees what they were making at their last job. The idea is that they want to not have to find out if they're earning less than men and therefore they could pay them less again. It passed 142 to 4 in the state house. That was bipartisan. Yeah. I wow. Because they say women are still earning 83 cents to men, as someone else pointed out. Black women earn a lot less compared to, to white but, uh, men. But, uh, what, uh, so that 83 number isn't as high in general. Any thoughts on the bill and why it did well? Well, I think that I think that I, we've got to thank the Me Too movement and the fact that uh, women are 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 just they're basically saying, you know, like I've had enough, and um, I'm going to hold the people who represent me accountable, and I'm going to reward those who understand that we have sat back silently and been underpaid, and I'm going to I'm going to support those who understand that women ought to make uh an equal amount so um women i think are rising yeah i think you're right and again <laughs> and when you're talking before about this year election year i do think it's the candidates to watch nationally the women i read one analysis by a woman in the new york times you remember who an economist said that in fact these can backfire that um men are employers are going to employers are going to assume the women earn less because they generally do so you have a woman who might have earn more in a previous job. But then again, that woman then will have the self-confidence that demand more of a salary, right? Well, I'm hoping so. I, I think that for so long, you know, women have just gone along with it. They've, a lot of times, when they are out in the workforce, they have to work and they, they want to have a job and they think, well, if I just get that job, I can earn more um, as I show that I'm a great employee. And And often what my experience has been is that it's really where you start is where you end up. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, back home, there was some peace on the single room occupancy SRO front. So there's been this effort to pass a bill for a moratorium on conversions to single room occupancy from of single room occupancy hotels where poor people live and there's a bathroom down the hall for not much money and uh, converting those to upscale places. I don't think there are any conversions looming, but there's been this bill to pass and it's been contentious and the, the argument, the person who's trying to convert the hotel duck and said they're after me because they want union and I don't want to guarantee a union there. But then last week, all of a sudden, when the bill came up, both sides had made peace on agreement they agree with that exempts the hotel Duncan. And the word was that there was an agreement reached, actually, with uh, Unite Here Union and Hotel Duncan to have some representation. Did you hear anything about that? Or? Well, I know that, that uh, Matt and Emerson had been working with the developer and uh, with folks... Um, in town and and because we think this is an important development and you know i just gotta thank matt um i think that his work with the 
our local legislative body and with the developer got us to that point. Matt is the economic development administrator for the city. What did he do? Like, what got you over the line? What changed? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think he was a a, 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 a consensus builder. Let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then um, there was a hearing. We've had the budget hearings going on, and your uh, budget and finance people came promoting this the idea of borrowing some money to a lot of money to pay off some of the pen, you know, some of the pensions. Pension have. obligation bonds. Yeah. And what they reported, which we hadn't known, is that analysts say that we should have one point two billion dollars in our two pension funds, mm-hmm. and that we have only four hundred sixty eight million in those funds. That's that's a big disparity. It's a huge disparity. Now it is my sense. Tell me if I'm wrong. It's pretty similar to the disparities we're finding all over the country. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it's not as bad as some in state and and municipal coffers. I'm really ignorant on this stuff. Like I always have someone like find out a lot about it when they I write an article that, and try to Paul. understand. No, it's hard. <laughs> no, no, actually, sure. I'm, tell, I'm telling the truth. I always feel like the story they write has to make it so that even I understand it, how the finances work. And the one thing I don't understand is that obviously when you say it has a third or a half as much as it's supposed to have, that doesn't mean that the checks aren't going out next year. That's right. Doesn't it doesn't mean, mean taxes have to be raised next year to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But yet, obviously, there's a problem. And at what point does it be, what kind of problem? Like the first problem I would imagine is that ratings agencies mm-hmm. say, well, you don't have enough in there, so we're going to make it more expensive for you to borrow money. Right. But what are they worried about happening? What if everybody who could retire retired at that moment, which would never happen, but what if they did? You've got to have that billion dollars in there uh, to cover that. And so um, there are all these very complicated formulas that look at what full funding is, but you really just need enough to pay for uh, people who are on retirement. And But if you don't meet a certain threshold, right. then um, and that means you're at risk to having a number of people retire and not be able to pay. And I think that is what the rating agencies worry about, and that's why uh, they want you to be uh, as close to fully funded as possible. And I've been told that 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 fully funded isn't really 100%, and there are some places that are 120% funded. But it's really more like between 70 and 80%. And we're more like 34? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. But then there are places that are like 10, right? I mean, I've been reading about Illinois and some places, towns in California, and it makes their government go bust. So how do you know? I guess that's the thing that I, I was being honest about, being ignorant about. How do you determine those thresholds? Like at what time, what, what point is it? Well, I think it's the, the actuary who comes and uh, runs the numbers, um, lets you know. And you also know um, what the, this does to your overall cash flow. Because you have to put more in. You have to put more in. And if you don't put more in and you are cash poor, it could create a problem for you for other things that you have to do. As and obviously city. that's what happened to the state. I mean, one reason you're scrambling so much with the city budget is because the state has such a budget problem. And at least the people who study the budget said, besides the lowering of income tax receipts, that there was a bipartisan agreement in the rolling and rail years, not to put enough money in that, in those pension funds. Right. I think that was one of the things, you know, I remember being in the state Senate and hearing people say the state's always going to pay for, um, the uh, our our pensions, and so it doesn't matter whether or not, I mean these were leaders that were saying it doesn't matter whether or not it's fully funded, wow. and but you know that's a that's a, an idea that was evidently erroneous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, one idea that I've really been pumped about, I think some of the interesting developments I've seen in the city recently, is this coming together of management teams. Last couple of weeks, we've had people on oh, the radio. Kim Harris, you're the first one who told me this was happening. We looked into it, and she's this new-ish head of the New Hovo management team who's gotten the whole city together. We've never seen this. Mm-hmm. All 12 management teams, the heads of them get together, and they're planning a whole summer of activities. So their idea is they get people from each other's neighborhoods doing stuff with their kids and their families every day mm-hmm. and going to different neighbors to see it, planning those activities, and also boosting local business. Yeah. A lot of ideas there. So they're going to have this passport. Well, that's not the passport. That's an even another idea. They're going to have this book where it, they get at least five businesses or institutions in each neighborhood 
to agree to give a discount to people who show the sticker or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you go to those neighbors to discover a small business, support them. Really, really good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. And then this passport where they got people like train conductors and others to say you can stop by and visit and we'll list a place of visit with your kids every day to see different parts of New Haven. Mm -hmm. And they stamp your passport and you learn about something else that's out there. I think it's a great idea. I, I'm, uh, you know, the thing I, I've, I've went to um, Cleveland to uh, um, a public administrators conference to speak about about New Haven, and you know, when you talk about the things that we do here, and the kind of you know, and, and you know, I was talking a little bit about public safety and all of that. At the core of what makes it work are our community management teams. And it's very, it's very complicated to, to do all of that. And probably in a huge city with millions of people, it might be even more difficult to do. But the fact that we can get the community involved in its own life and giving life to that community, uh, defining for itself its safety standards and everybody working towards it, defining what it means to be a community and having activities for the children. It's extraordinary. And it's really, yeah. it, it's really what makes New Haven phenomenal. And this is, you talk about bigger cities, so maybe there's something about the scale. So we have 12 of them in a city of 130,000 people, 18.7 square miles. And uh, I guess it's kind of self-selecting. So it's kind of small enough, but not tiny a geographic area where the people, there are enough people who will come out at night, six o'clock, Mm-hmm. in busy lives and care about like what's being built in their neighborhood and what safety's like in their neighborhood and when there's for kids to do in their neighborhood and whether who they're mad at in the government and get answers from. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I guess that's formed a really good core. I feel like it's sort of the engine when it works, it's the engine of democracy. And I only know of two management teams where they fight about who's in charge. Cause it's kind of silly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a volunteer thing. You don't get rich or have a lot of power. It's like, who's going to step up and do stuff. And that's another thing this group's doing. They're actually getting a Pat Boozer to train, a longtime diversity trainer, mm-hmm. to train people about how to be on management teams. Mm. Oh, that's and how to be, you know, a constructive person and get with, because some of these management teams like Fairhaven, they come from very different backgrounds. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's one of the great things happening. And, and, you know, I think about what does a mayor do and a public official. And I think one of the mark of a successful government is to see what kind of grassroots energy is happening and where a city can help that. Like, you don't go and pick the person who's the leader. You don't go pick and tell neighbors what to do. But whether it's giving them the $10,000 to decide how to spend every year, or when you see something that's happened, you bring them in for the meeting in City Hall, you link them up with the people who do your city website so that all the information can be shared. You make sure that they're going to get a question answered if there's something involving police. You're giving them the field house to have their opening event. And I, I know because this weekend's Rock to Rock, where you get... um. You know, what is it, like thousands of people on their bikes and all these, or you went one year, I know, you've mm-hmm. organized rides, the hard ones, the easy ones, the kid events, raised a lot of money for charity. And it's just, I remember when that was starting to happen and, and, and John DeStefano, the former mayor, said, no, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like this kind of stuff didn't used to happen. You know, it's become such a bicycle city, but it's all like tons of all kinds of people coming out and spending all that time on a Sunday to, to have this kind of organized activity. And I think it's the same with the revival of the management team meetings. And we're really as strong as weak as the grassroots. No, absolutely, and I and I, I think that the government's an enabler, kind of tending it. Absolutely, and you and you and you give people, uh, and they discover ways in which they can actually self-actualize in their community and really help make it become the place they want it to be. Or do we call it say you're a fisherman? You kind of like throw out your reel <laughs> and you reel them in just to bring back a little. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The um, uh, there was a really interesting debate on our site recently about. The efforts of the police department trying very hard to diversify the force, get local people and people of color to become cops. There was a young man named Jamar Daniels. I don't know if you saw that story a week ago. He has tried four times. When he grew up, he told a very compelling story of the police commission. His father had died on the streets when Jamar was 12. His older brothers all went into the streets. He said, I'm going to become a cop. And he got, became the police explorer program. Mm-hmm. Then he went to the PAL camp. They had police league. Then he became a counselor. And we actually know it's true because it turned out we'd written a bunch of articles about him over the years <laughs> with a picture and long story about this guy wanting to be a cop. But he's been turned down a bunch of times. He's 25 years old and he had um, been arrested for strangling his wife, shoplifting. And, um, and it's kind of this mix, right? So then Chief Campbell said, you know, he really didn't pass the background test and we don't, we don't think he should be a cop. And he came before the police commission and everyone who doesn't get to be a cop gets to appeal. Mm-hmm. And he did his out in public and they, eight people appealed and seven they said no. 
But in his case, they split two to two, so he gets to go to the next step. Doesn't mean to become a cop in next. He goes to psych testing. And Odell Collins, a retired cop, very respected in the black community, was there, and he knows this guy. He says he's a great young man. No one's perfect. All sorts of cops. Every cop has had something they've had to overcome. Then other people said, but we got to be real careful. Like he'd gotten a pistol permit in Hamden. He told the story. New Haven turned him down. He doesn't live in New Hamden. He pretended he lived in Hamden. He got the gun. And so some people said we have to have certain standards that, you know, there's a lot this young man could do with the community. But, um, but you know, maybe this isn't, we're concerned about having cops who follow certain rules. Any thoughts on what this says about the challenge of, as Tony Dawson, the chair of the police commission says, we recruit from the human race. Yeah, I think that it's a tough one. It is a tough one. And I, and, but I do think the fact that the psychological is the next step that, uh, that ought to, because I think that's what you worry about. You worry that a person isn't, um, um, that they may not have uh, the balance to handle those responsibilities. And if he passes the psychological, then I, 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 I think we should uh, take another look at how we make those decisions. So you're saying there's a whole process in place. And right. we are fine-tuning it. One thing Tanthony Campbell, the chief, has been doing, he's spending a lot of time being personally involved in this process to see how to make it better. And when there are psychological exams, he actually reviews them. Mm-hmm. He reviews what, and the background checks, what's being said and why. It's he's taken very seriously, and I know that it's a, a tough process. Before we let you go, Mayor Hart, let's talk about a few things coming up. Saturday, uh, Smoke Detector Day in New Haven. Oh, let me ask a question from Aaron Good that came in. Mayor Harp, in order to implement the goals of the new climate and sustainability framework mm-hmm. and moving New Haven toward being a zero-waste city, with me? Okay. Would Mayor Harp support a pilot program for curbside composting pickup? Oh. That's interesting. Like the programs in San Francisco and New York City. Aaron, good thank you as always for those questions. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very interested in it. I would like to learn more about it. Yes, I'd I'd support it. A pilot, absolutely. But com- you know, recycling's going through such a change nationwide. Mm-hmm. Apparently people are throwing more bad stuff in the recycling so they can't make as much money. And China, which was the biggest purchaser of recycling from America, was no longer buying it because it was costing them too much to get the bad stuff out. Mm. So now we have new third world markets. I forget it was Thailand. I mean, I forget who, you mm-hmm. know, sort of taking the trash. But composting could be the next. I compost and I really like it because I feel like, and I'm not like some kind of green gardening guy or anything, although we gave a lot of the solar youth one year. It's this kind of feeling that you are contributing to the cycle of renewing life, that you're not wasting as much. And we're vegetarians, so most of our stuff actually goes in the composting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gets very good dirt that can be used for growing stuff again. Mm-hmm. You know? I like it. My mother used to compost. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, she's a big gardener. <laughs> so I think it's it's very interesting. And, you know, there was a uh, a group over, on, and we have so many groups in, in New Haven, but there was a group over on Chapel Street, um, AIDS Interfaith Network, mm-hmm. um, and... Um, Yusuf Shah, uh, through that project, used to compost, and it was sort of like a uh, with people in the neighborhood and, and over there. And I, I thought it was really interesting. So I'd love to see what we can do with that. So your answer is yes. Yeah. Be interested in knowing more about it. Um, and you know, we're talking about great grassroots energy in New Haven. The community gardens are amazing. Yes. And absolutely. that's where a lot of that could go. Right. A few blocks down for AIDS Interfaith, the Chapel Street Garden. Mm-hmm. And of course, the original newsroom of New Haven Independent was a compost heap. I don't know if you remember that. I didn't know that. Oh, we got okay. our stories, we pulled them out and recycled them on video. And then, oh, okay. okay. That was an old reference. But um, <laughs> And also, you got Fire Safety Day on Saturday. Right. We're going to have, it's part of a national thing the Red Cross does. They're teaming up with their fire department. You're out there, so people do it. That They say that most of the fires that kill people can be prevented. Mm-hmm. often smoke detectors either aren't in the house or the batteries are dead. Right. So they're going down, checking your smoke detectors by appointment. And giving you 10-year lithium batteries. That's great. Well, you kind of told me about it. I'm not like like letting you know this is happening. I know, I know. But you're letting everybody else know, (laughs) so I think that's a good thing. (laughs) So go to the Red Cross New Haven website. Right. And you can sign up for that, because I believe they still have some. Mill River Trail got its first phase approved from Grand Avenue to John Murphy Drive. Mm -hmm. Think there'll ever be a Tony Harp Drive? John Murphy was was a mayor. (laughs) I doubt it. What would you want to have named after you? Because every mayor does get something. Oh, they do? Well, I mean, oh. John Daniels has a school and a corner. Oh, okay. I forget what DeStefano has. He'll get some of something. He'll get something, yeah. I think, you know, if there's ever a school, I think a school would be cool. You'd like a school? Yeah. School would be cool. Okay. <laughs> so maybe we can close some now, but reopen some later. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> Delaney's got his final approval. 
Yeah. To build in Westville. Oh, we missed it so much. We're so glad it's coming back. 201 Munson Street, the plan for now. It's now going to be 400 apartments. Mm-hmm. By an old factory. It was mm-hmm. in the 370s. Uh, and, and they've still got a few steps to go, but they got their uh, one of their plans moving forward. And the biggest change was 235 Winchester, mm-hmm. which was uh, for 15 years. On a street that on the on the Dixwell side of, of Winchester, Science Park, between Science Park and Yale, mm-hmm. where a lot of good things are happening. And not just upscaling. You have the whole McCabe Manor and... You know, sort of good, solid working family housing. And this one huge building that had burned, it was staying as a, it stayed there 15 years while this guy developer, Kenny Hill, had a fight mm-hmm. with the city over a lead paid grant. And it is finally, after 15 years of fighting, it brought down the whole block, got taken down. And he got his mortgage money to build a new piece there. And it's, I think that's a new 18 story, 18 uh, apartment building. And I think that's going to bring a big change to that neighborhood. It, it is. And you know, things take time in New Haven, but they do happen. Three separate administrations, a little similar. Livable City Initiative tried to strike mm-hmm. the deal with them before. Yeah. Uh, so, so good things are happening in New Haven. Yeah. Anything else we should know about this week? Or we'll Can't just think read of about anything. It. Can you? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. What? Um, next week we'll talk about the African American Mayors Association. What's going on with that? Well, you know, I'm the president of I the African American Mayors Association, and. My conference will be um, this week in Washington, D.C. Oh, this week, this week, this week. This week, yeah. So you're going to Washington this week. I'm going to Washington. And I'll be um, um, turning over the gavel to the next president. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so that does give us a really good... I'm really going to ask you next week to think about what the year taught you. I mean, I was very (laughs) interested in the first ever statement of black mayors on immigration reform. Very interested in the role of women. So mm-hmm. let's let's uh, let's talk about that next week. Okay. So Fantastic. when you're in Washington, will there be a certain voice saying, Tony? Where's Tony? <laughs> Tony Harp? She's not one of those sanctuary mayors, is she? <laughs> if you can answer that, you get a you get in the running for a free typo mug from the New Haven Independent. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today, Mayor right. Harp. Thank you. Love having you come in every week. And hopefully the sun will keep shining. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Thanks for the people who wrote in, not just with questions, but with your likes. And uh, thanks to Gateway Community College and Bertram Moses, PC, for providing financial support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience, performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Now, we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all day and all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.